Canons of Dort, fifth, head of doctrine, articles one through three, man needs God to preserve him. Our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, after all the hardships of pregnancy, no mother puts her child in his crib and say, you're on your own now, child. I went through a lot of hardships with you. I need some rest. How long would that child survive without the mother? Not very long. Not very long at all. That child needs assistance. Realize that sometimes they're 15 years old and they still need assistance. They still need their mothers to cook for them and to wash and do their laundry and to help them. How much more your heavenly father? He knows that after your rebirth, you could not survive a moment in your life without his constant help, his constant preservation. So he preserves his dear children. And this doctrine brings much comfort to the saints of God. And this is what you will hear about today. Let's define, first of all, preservation. I'll use a more specific targeted uh, definition that's been used by the church for some time. Preservation is the continuous operation of the Holy Spirit in a believer such that the work of grace that was begun in the heart at regeneration is continued and brought to full completion in our glorification. Now you will notice that often the pea in the tulip is referred to as perseverance. Perseverance of the saints. But it's better to use the term preservation of the saints. Why? Because that puts the emphasis on the work of God who preserves us. Man only perseveres, and it's not wrong to say we are to persevere in the faith. The Bible uses that language. But we're only able to persevere because God preserves us. Now our headings today are three. Believers sin after conversion. Second, so believers must seek Christ for protection from sins. And then third, believers are strengthened by Christ to fight sins. So you, you sin... You must seek Christ, and he will strengthen you. Our goals are that seeing your needs, your need to be preserved, and seeing God's gift of preservation, that you will receive the Lord's preservation with joy, and then respond in proper worship and service to his divine majesty. First of all, believers sin after conversion. Article 1 of the fifth head of doctrine, the regenerate not entirely free from sin. Together, those people whom God calls into fellowship with God's Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, according to the divine purpose and regenerates by the Holy Spirit, God also wholly sets free from the dominion and slavery of sin, though not wholly from the flesh, and body of sin as long as they are in this life. So you begin to be better, but you are not free from sin. 
Sin remains in you and you sin in your thoughts and in your words and in your actions. You never stop sinning. Perfectionism is a doctrine that's taught in some churches, but it's a false doctrine. You can never be perfect in this life. So you need God's help to overcome sin. And the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John spoke to the church about this. Look at Romans chapter 7, verse 22. Together, For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. First John 1 John 1.8, together. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So you children, you will see sin in your parents. And we see sin in our children. We see the sin in each other, and God sees the sin in us. And that's why we must run to God. The Apostle James said that we all stumble. And this is why in the Lord's Prayer we say what? Lead us not into temptation, because we know we are drawn like a moth to a flame to sin. And then we say, forgive us our debts. We have failed to live up to the family name. So you know your proclivity to sin, your tendency to sin, and the consequent need for forgiveness. And knowing your weakness, after, even after conversion, you're, you are only perfect in glory. For you're only perfect in glory. God promised then to preserve you. That's the promise of our loving Father. He knows our weakness. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says together, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be safe from wrath through him. We will continue to experience, having been saved, he continues to work to clean us out from the filth that is in our lives. And look at what the Lord Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 39, together. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. You notice here, this is a reminder again of that golden chain. That if the Lord elected us, what will he do? He will call us. If he calls us, he will justify us. If he justifies us, he will sanctify us. If he sanctifies us, he will glorify us. That chain can never be broken. So once that has begun, it will be completed. That's why you have to go to him, the one who will take care of you. The one who will help you to overcome sin. Because he saved you, he will complete that work. And he's willing and able. Remember, he's your father, willing Able, he's in heaven to do the things he has promised. Now, our Arminian brothers, on the other hand, believe that persevering is not a fruit of election or a gift of God, but they believe that perseverance is a condition God placed on man, something that man must do by himself. They believe you must fix 
the sin that remains in your life. But is that what we see in the scriptures? Let's read a little longer passage. But this is an important passage. Pay attention especially. Romans chapter 8 verse 32 through 35. Together. He who did not spare his own son. But delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Who? Nothing. Because of Christ's love. That's what keeps us. Not our abilities to say, I resist sin. It is the work of Christ that makes you resist sin. And only the work of Christ in you. Preserving is the work of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Who can resist the work of God? Who can triumph over the devil, the world, and the flesh? You can't fight against these things and win. Look at what the Apostle Paul says earlier. That pull is too strong. The lusts are too strong. They pull you away. This is why you need to cry out to God. You see how this goes against this arrogance of our modern times where if it's got to be, it's up to me. No. It's got to be, it's up to God. But nothing can separate separate us from his love. From his love. Man needs God to remain in the faith. Or Armenian brothers are wrong to say that it's up to you to persevere. They must start with the fact that God must work in you. And this is a gift of God that you persevere. So what do believers do? You've got this problem. You sin. And you sin every day in thought, words, and actions. And and this can overwhelm you. You can't fight your enemies because they're too big. Well, you run to Christ for protection from sins. That's our second point. Article 2, the believer's reaction to sins of weakness. Together, hence daily sins of weakness arise and blemishes cling to even the best works of saints, giving them continual cause to humble themselves before God to flee for refuge to Christ crucified, to put the flesh to death more and more by the spirit of supplication and by a holy exercise of godliness and to strain towards the goal of perfection until they are freed from the body of death and reign with the Lamb of God in heaven. Even the best works are not good enough. How can the Armenians say that it's up to you? Your best works are unacceptable to God. So while sin daily clings to you, and while you're unable by yourself to destroy sin, you make use of the means that God has provided to be preserved. 
Now, how does this play out? We know we're running to Christ, but how does this play out in reality? First of all, you must humble yourself before your Father in heaven. It's a humiliation. We must go to God in understanding of our low position. All praise belongs to God for your salvation. You must not take a smidgen of credit. Remember, you cannot contribute one sigh to your salvation. Now, sin makes you think much of yourself. But whatever goes down in humility, the Lord will raise up. The arrogant are cut down, as Mary said and as Hannah said. But the Lord lifts up the lowly. James chapter 4, verse 10, together. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. So the first thing you go and say, Lord, I can't fight against these sin. You know the temptations. They pull me in. I'm a thief. I'm an adulterer. I'm disrespectful. I'm a liar. I I don't want to worship you like you should. I misuse your name. I need help. And that's the second thing. You daily flee to God for refuge and protection and solace on the basis of the work of Jesus Christ. When you go to God, you don't say, look, God, I'm humble. I'm naturally humble. No, you say, I come to you as a beggar because I'm coming with a sense of my sin. But I also come knowing that Jesus Christ has taken away my sin. Your enemies, the devil, the world, and your flesh are mortal dangers to your soul. And only in Jesus are you safe. The quicksand of wickedness will kill you. Look at Psalm 40 verse 2 together. He also brought me out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. I was telling the kids last night, one of the things we did in our home country was we go catch crabs. And... uh, it's in the mucky, you know, mangrove roots. Have you ever seen those on um, National Geographic documentaries? But this mud is so uh, sticky. You can go in there and then you can't get out. And I found myself that way and they had to grab me and pull me out to safety because I couldn't move. And that's the hopelessness of sin. You're stuck. And Jesus pulls you out from that miry, mucky clay and he puts you upon the rock where you are safe. So you run to him. Third, you must put to death your sin with the help of God's Holy Spirit. When you go there, the the Lord Jesus gives you help. Then you practice obedience. You replace sin with service. So instead of wasting time on the internet, you say, well, let me write an email to someone. You know how inevitably that can be a blessing to others? You should try that. You know, you would sit and write, you just think of people, ask how they're doing. Make it a, a regular habit of instead of wasting time doing nothing or playing games after game. Once in a while, you send a letter. I send an email. I just said, how are you doing to someone yesterday? Well, I probably got back about 250, 300 words because someone wanted to talk. You never know. Might be a missionary overseas. It might be a friend, a co-worker. You never know what people are going through. 
and you can use that time for good. Maybe you can write an encouraging email to a visitor from church. You find out who they are and you develop a relationship with them. Most people who come to church and join churches are through personal relationships. Maybe you can say a prayer for the persecuted church or for the poor. Maybe write a letter to a missionary. Do you know how much that means? When we get a letter, someone sends an email from someplace and says, hey, we're praying for you. We know some of the struggles you go through. And may God bless you. This is how you kill lust, by putting off the bad and putting on the good. You replace. That's what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians. Put off this, put on this. In doing these things, you acknowledge that you do not have the wherewithal to fix the problem of the remnants of sin that remain, uh, the remnants of sin in your life, even after you become a Christian. Right? You come in humility, you run to Jesus, and he gives you strength, and you're able to put off the sins that overwhelm you. The problem is our Armenian friends... believe that while God does give these gifts that we just mentioned to his children, that they can stop the salvation process by refusing these gifts. So they say this golden chain that cannot be broken can be broken. So God may elect you, he may call you, he may justify you, but then you say, nah, I don't want to go on anymore. They believe there's no salvation without human intervention. So God is kind of stuck without human cooperation. This is a very serious problem because they're robbing God and stealing his honor. It is God who does all of this in you. No one else. And then here's the other side. How can eternal life stop being eternal life. That's what they're really saying, right? They're saying God called you, elected you, he called you, justified you, and then gave you eternal life, but then eternal life stopped being eternal life. How can something that's eternal stop being eternal? It's, it's not a very difficult question. And they don't have the answers for it. How can it stop being eternal? give you an example of how we view this in the wrong way. If little Mia walks through a room with her father, we know that she is safe. But the Arminian characterizes this and says, she is safe as long as she holds on to her father. The proper view is this, she is safe because her father is holding her hand. After all, how strongly can she hold on to her father's hand? But if her father is holding her, she's much stronger and safer that way, isn't she? And that's what our Heavenly Father does for us. He holds us in his hand. That's the blessing we have in Jesus, how he keeps us. Don't take the credit for what he's doing. Praise him for what he has done. Remember, he still uses means, but he's a source of those gifts. Thirdly, the believer is strengthened by Christ to fight sins. 
Article 3, dealing with God's preservation of the converted. God's preservation. So believers then, they have their sins. They run to Christ. And then he strengthens them. Let's read on God's preservation of the converted together. Because of these remnants of sin dwelling in them, and also because of the temptations of the world and Satan, those who have been converted could not remain standing in this grace if left to their own resources. But God is faithful, mercifully strengthening them in the grace once conferred on them and powerfully preserving them in it to the end. So there's no doubt the devil, the world, and your flesh hate you. And you need to be strengthened. And you run to Christ, the source of strength. Look at John chapter 15, verse 18 to reinforce this. Together... If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And that's an important thing that the Lord was warning us about 2,000 years ago. The world will not like you. The world might pretend it likes you, but it doesn't. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. Together. So the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. That's the real work of the devil. That's the real work of the enemy. See, live and let live is not the attitude of a Christian. You have a really dangerous enemy. It's true, sometimes you don't feel like the world hates you. And that's the deception. The worst type of enemy is the one who pretends to be your friend. If someone's antagonistic to you, you know to avoid them. But the one might be working against you, might be some close relative, might be a friend. Could be a husband or a wife. And that's a dangerous enemy because that person pretends he likes you. But you must not live on the basis of feelings. You have to live on the basis of revealed truth. Indeed, the pretense of the world is a trap that the devil constantly uses to fool people into thinking all is well with their soul. How nicely does this fit with what you've already heard with those satanic verses that flowed from those who pretended that they were true Jewish Christians but were indeed from the synagogue of Satan. Here's what the Apostle Paul, Apostle John wrote. 1 John two fifteen and 16. Together. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, 
but is of the world. And no wise one, no wise person embraces the one who hates him. So be aware, even if the enemy pretends to be your friend, that you don't embrace the world. And I'm saying that's what the problem of our churches are, is today. That's the main problem we struggle with, that embracing of the world. Secondly, we know the devil and the world and flesh are serious enemies, but you have to be strengthened because this is a war with many battles throughout your life. You need this strengthening. You run to Jesus, but you understand how much you need him to strengthen you. First Peter tells us that. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Together, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same suffering are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Think about that. The devil is out to destroy. You need to watch out for him. The enemy is not some kind of weak and sickly enemy you can ignore or play games with. I've talked before about some of the gimmicks we would do as growing up Pentecostals, and, and we would be told to kick the devil as if we could. He doesn't have a physical body. Slap the devil. He doesn't have... We're not injuring him. We're making fools of ourselves. That's not the, the way we fight. The enemy is not that weak. You need strength from Christ to be able to fight the devil. And don't forget this. This is a transformational work. This is a great work. This is not some little dinky battle with someone, petty uh, fight. This is a revolutionary work. And sometimes you will lose friends. Sometimes you will make enemies. Sometimes you'll be thrown in prison. Sometimes you'll lose your job or your position. Sometimes you wouldn't get the promotion you want because you're standing up for what is right and what is good. Remember Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Together, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold for me. Uh, consistent also with, uh, I missed Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Let's read that together. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Transformation is marked change. They're not nuances, but it's standing up and plainly speaking the truth and living the truth in a world that is antagonistic to you. So you have to apply some degree of force and press on. Now, the Lord give you the assurance that he will preserve you, that he will strengthen you. And he did so many times. 
He taught this in the parable of the good shepherd. And one of the beautiful pictures of that is John chapter 10, verse 28. He looked in, if you look back in Ezekiel 34, there were the false shepherds. They didn't care for the flock. They became prey to the wild animals and even were abused by the spiritual leaders of the time. But the Lord Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I give my life for my sheep so that they are safe. Look at John 10, 28 and 29 together. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. What assurance. Oh, the devil is out. But the Lord says, I will strengthen you. I will keep you alive. So you're in my hand. Romans eleven seven together. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks. But the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Natural-born Israelites, there was no guarantee that they would be saved. It was the spiritual Israelite, the ones who are the true children of Abraham. Philippians 1, 6, together, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He doesn't leave you halfway. If it were left up to you, you would take the first off-ramp from the highway of Christianity. But Jesus is the one who holds you and keeps you. Psalm 138, verse 7 and 8, together. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Look at the reassurances of what God will do for us. Why does he have to revive us? Because we have no strength in ourselves. We need him to work in us every day. So the Lord assures us that he will strengthen and keep us. Not only that, the Lord prays that we will stay strong. He prays for us in heaven. We read that already. He makes intercessions for us. Look at Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and 32. Even as he was here on earth. He knew the devil was coming after Peter to use him to deny Jesus three times. Look at what the Lord said together. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. The Lord will use Peter for good. He will become one of the means. But the source of the strengthening and the protection was in God. So Jesus not only said so, he will work, but he's praying that this will happen. Now, our Armenian brothers put man at the center of the struggle, but the Bible puts God at the center of the struggle in your life. It is he who works in, works in you. And think about this. Knowing your weakness, knowing your proclivity to sin, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You don't do the things you want to do. You do the things you shouldn't do. 
Who would you prefer to have at the center of your life? You, for your sanctification, or the Lord Jesus? Question, the answer is easy. You don't want to be the one looking out for yourself. You want Jesus to do that. And that's what he has promised. You need the Lord Jesus to work in you to preserve you. Let's conclude. The believer continues to sin after he is saved. Instead of trying to fight off sin by himself, he must run to God. How humbly and plead for protection from sin. And God will then work through his word and spirit to reinforce him with strength so that he perseveres and is therefore preserved. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, stand in awe of God and in humility when you see his work from beginning to end of your salvation. He saved you, he keeps you, and he does so in the hollow of his hand. And when you do sin and become ashamed, and you will sin, and you will become ashamed for the sins you commit, run to the one who loved you for help to overcome it. You know what happens when you sin and you don't run to Jesus? That sin overwhelms you. That's what leads to depression in many people. This is what leads them, uh, some to, to turn away, leads some to turn away from the church. Why? Because they want to fight by their own strength and they feel ashamed and they get a sense of what they have done and the wretchedness of the human condition. And instead of running to the Lord for help and then he will strengthen them, they start looking to themselves. But you need to run to the one who loved you and use the gifts and the means that he has provided so you can persevere and so be preserved. You must do this. You need to do this. And remember to teach this to your children so they don't rot in their sins. You know, guilt can be a powerful force. But guilt without Jesus is death. You need to point them to Jesus so that they will run to him. And they will confess their sins. And they will unburden themselves on him. Teach them to cast their cares upon the Lord. And then third, let your mouth be filled with the praise of God for his preservation. Remember, he is the one who brought you out from the miry clay and he established your feet upon a rock. That rock is Jesus Christ. And he is the one who put that new song in your mouth for what he has done for you. And finally, if you're not a Christian... Know that God preserves his people, but he punishes those who are not his in the fires of hell. Instead, may you run to him and plead for mercy on account of Jesus Christ so that you can be saved from eternal damnation. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for your words again. Thank you that you loved us. Thank you that you keep us. We pray, Lord, that we will not sin, But if we do sin, and when we sin, we thank you that we have an advocate in heaven who pleads for us. We thank you that you have your Holy Spirit who convicts us. We thank you we have your word that we can read and we can see when we have broken your law. Then we can run to you for help. And you will help us. 
And in so doing, you'll preserve our lives. For without you, we are hopeless. But with you, we are confident. Help us then, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen.